please, for the reading of the scriptures. We're going to be in Jeremiah 25, verses 27 through 38 this morning. And this is what it says. Then you shall say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, drink, be drunk, and vomit, fall and rise no more because of the, because of the sword that I'm sending against you. And if they refuse to accept the cup from your hand to drink, then you shall say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, you must drink. For behold, I begin to work disaster at the city that is called by my name, and shall you go unpunished? You shall not go unpunished, for I am summoning a sword against all the inhabitants of the earth, declares the Lord of hosts. You therefore shall prophesy against them all these words and say to them, the Lord will roar from on high and from his holy habitation utter his voice. He will roar mightily against his fold and shout like those that tread grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. The clamor will resound to the ends of the earth, for the Lord has an indictment against the nations. He's entering into judgment with all flesh, and the wicked he will put to the sword, declares the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, disaster is going forth from nation to nation, and a great tempest is stirring from the farthest parts of the earth. And those pierced by the sword on that day shall extend from one end of the earth to the other. They shall not be lamented or gathered or buried. They shall be dung on the surface of the ground. Wail, you shepherds, and cry out, and roll in ashes, you lords of the flock, for the days of your slaughter and dispersion have come, and you shall fall like a choice vessel. No refuge will remain for the shepherds, nor escape for the lords of the flock. A voice, the cry of the shepherds, and the wail of the lords of the flock. For the Lord is laying waste their pasture. And the peaceful folds are devastated because of the fierce anger of the Lord. Like a lion, he has left his lair, for their land has become a waste. Because of the sword of the oppressor and because of his fierce anger. This is the word of God. You can be seated. And thank you for coming. And let me pray and ask the Lord to prepare us to not only learn from this, but, but walk in this truth. So please bow with me. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for a faithful prophet like Jeremiah who was given a very difficult task, and a task that really would cause him to be rejected again and again and again. So I pray for us that you would give us grace, Lord, to walk in the truth if we should be rejected, and to give us perseverance to continue to say and speak and live the truth despite so much around us. Lord, for this morning, I pray that you would not only use your word to convince, but that you would also use it to convict, that you would also use it to convert, Lord. We love you. Give us grace to listen rightly and to live rightly. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, when we lived in Kentucky, when I was in seminary, and even then when we came back to the States and then we were living here closer to Birmingham for a while, we would go to the zoo often because we had so many little ones under us, and so we would go to the zoo, and I remember, I forget if it was the one in Louisville, which was a really great zoo there, or if it was the one here in Birmingham. I don't remember the place, but I remember the experience. Once we went to the lion exhibit, and I really love lions uh, naturally because of the fact that the Lord Jesus is called the lion of the tribe of Judah, but just because, I mean, 
I would say almost all of us, like lions to one degree or another because they're so majestic, because they're so unique, and just they're so powerful and beautiful at the same time. Well, we were at this lion exhibit, and the lion, thank the Lord, that day was very active, and it was a male lion, and he started roaring and roaring and roaring. He was not extremely close to us, thank the Lord, though he wasn't too far away either, and it was an open exhibit. And I remember hearing how loud it was, but also feeling the reverberations in the air. Really, I could feel the roar of the lion, and it was majestic, and it was kind of frightening, and it was also really intriguing at the same time. And You know, a lion's roar is unique because its vocal cords are unique to any other cat or any other feline that exists. Its vocal cords are different from all the others. Did you know that with the right condition, did you know this? That a lion's roar, with all the right conditions, can be heard up to five miles away. If the temperature's right, if the humidity's right, and if the lay of the land is right, five miles away. Did you know that a lion's roar can get up to 114 decibels. Now, if you're like me, I didn't know exactly what that meant either. But equipment that you might use, that you might need ear protection for, like a tractor or a large lawnmower or something like that, that if you don't use ear protection while you're using them over an extended period of time, you're going to suffer hearing loss. Those are around 100 decibels. So a lion's roar can get a bit louder than that. A lion's roar... For uh, lions roar for different reasons too, as you might know. There's a handful of reasons that they might roar, but two reasons for sure is number one, to send a warning, to send a warning to any others who might be animals of prey in their territory. Others who might think themselves as hunters too. This lion roars to say, "Do not." come into this territory. I I own this territory, which ties to the second reason he roars is to display his dominance. He's saying, don't cross me. I'm here. I'm the boss. Be intimidated and know that I claim this. This is mine, and I'm the king right here and right now. And if you were a good listener, you noticed a few different times that in our text... It says the Lord roars. And then at the end, Jeremiah, through the inspiration of the Lord, uses a simile about God, about Yahweh. It says, like a lion, he has left his lair. You might remember last week, I titled the message, God the Righteous Judge. This morning, I'm titling the message, God the Roaring Judge. Lion. Last week's message, the beginning of chapter 25, was focused on the people of Israel, specifically the people of Israel and how God was going to judge them and judge them rightly. This message, the context is announce this not only to my people, but to the nations, the nations that surround my people. And God likens himself to a roaring lion when it comes to these people. So that's why in verse 27, where we start, look in your Bibles, we're in Jeremiah 25, verses 27 through 38. 
you might see that he says, then you shall say to them. Well, in the context, the them is all these different people. In verse 18, it says Jerusalem and the cities of Judah. But then it also says in verse 19 to speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, his servants, his officials. And then it says also in verse 20, all the kings of the land of Uz, all the kings of the land of the Philistines, Edom, Moab, Tyre, all the kings of Sidon. And he mentions all these other people, all these other Gentile kings that surround all the people of Israel. So this word is to all of them. So then you shall say to them, his people and the surrounding nations, what? Because Jeremiah's message, I mean, his, his purpose as a prophet was to speak, primarily to speak. You are a mouthpiece of the Lord. And what's he say? Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, drink, be drunk, and vomit. What's this drinking about? Well, again, in the context, is I didn't cover all this, In verse 15 it says, Thus the Lord God, the God of Israel, said, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath. Take this cup of the wine of wrath and make the nations whom I send you drink it. So that's this message. It's likened to taking a cup of wine and drinking it down. And Jesus picks up on this too. I know you were thinking about that. Let this cup pass from me? What was, the, what was going to be happening the next day, or days to come, Jesus' crucifixion? It's this cup of the wrath of God. He says, you're going to go to the nations, you're going to tell them, drink it and be drunk and vomit. You're going to drink it down until you're sick, but until you stagger. The sting of wine can cause a man to stagger and fall down. Well, just like the rest of that verse, the sting of the sword causes a man to stagger and fall down. Both of those men look similarly when they're staggering around and falling. A drunk man and and someone who's been pierced. They act similarly right before they fall and when they fall. And that's what this cup represents, the sword that I'm sending. Remember, we saw last week that God was raising up nations to come and invade his people. God even called them his servants. He's using these unbelieving nations as his servants to punish his people for their sins. And now he's saying, and I'm also going to punish those nations You see, what we're supposed to take away from this, what we're supposed to see from this, according to R.C. Sproul, he puts it well. He says, the Lord would not just punish his own people while ignoring the wickedness of the other nations. An important factor in the theology of judgment against the nations is that the honor of God's own name is at stake in the fate of his people. You see, his people were making his name look Bad. That's why it's so important for us as Christians. If we're going to go around saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, or to wear something on your wrist that says something like, follow God, or something like that, it's very important then that we live that life. Now, my saying, therefore, if you've ever sinned, you're bad, and take off all Christian paraphernalia. No, you're a bad example. I'm not saying that, because then we're all disqualified. 
but the direction of your life should be one that people can look at and say, that's, that's a Christian. He's the real deal. She's the real deal. Not so sure about these people over here that say that they are too. Not so sure, but he's the real deal. The people of God were making God look bad. That angers me when people who call themselves the people of God make God look bad. And it should anger you too when you see it in others. It should really anger you when you see it in yourself, right? And so God was showing that I'm not just judge over these people who are called by my name. I'm judge over all. Now look at this in verse 28. (laughs) This is special. If they refuse to accept the cup from your hand to drink. Now remember, it's not a literal cup. It's the message of judgment to come. The message of wrath that's likened to a cup that they have to take and drink down. If they refuse to accept it, look. Then you shall say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, you must drink. It doesn't matter if man refuses to hear truth or refuses to believe truth. Listen to me. It doesn't matter if man refuses to hear it or believe it. God's truth affects all men and ultimately will be accepted by all men. When his wrath comes upon them for their unbelief, he's saying they must drink it. It doesn't matter if they don't receive it from your mouth. If they say, this kook is doing his thing again. Listen to him. He's a naysayer. He's a, a doomsdayer. God's saying, they're going to drink it. It doesn't matter if they don't receive it from your hand. I'm going to make them drink it. For behold, he says in verse 29, I begin to work disaster. Where? At the city that's called by my name. That's Jerusalem. Just like in the New Testament, it says judgment begins at the house of the Lord. That's where it started. And then he says, and so shall you go and punish the you as again the nations. He says, if I'm judging my own people, I'm certainly your judge as well. You shall not go Unpunished, for I'm summoning a sword against all the inhabitants of the earth, declares the Lord. We're going to talk more about that later, because as you saw, he repeats that phrase in one way or another multiple times. I, in fact, counted one, two, three, four, five times that he repeats that phrase in one way or another. So we're going to get to that in a second. But you need to know this God's laws don't just affect the people who say, I'm a Christian. God's laws apply to All, for all time. God is the righteous judge of all the earth, even if people don't think that he is. When he roars, he's pronouncing, this is my territory. Just like a lion does, this is my territory. I'm claiming it. God roars over all the inhabitants of the earth. This is all mine. I am. Am the boss here. 
Verse 30, you shall therefore prophesy against them all these words and say to them, the Lord will roar from on high and from his holy habitation utter his voice. He will roar mightily against, now look at this, roar mightily against his fold. Now, if I asked you, what's the fold of God? God's, you know, a fold. It's that shepherd talk, by the way which comes up later here too. A shepherd's fold are his what? Sheep, right? And sheep in the scriptures, God's sheep, not the goats, the sheep are the believers, right? The Christians. But if we keep on reading, we get a bit more context. He's going to roar mightily against his fold and shout, like those who tread grapes, look, against who? All the inhabitants of the earth. Again, God showing his domain is not just these Jewish people in that land who dress funny and do their hair funny and eat funny food, because that's what they were like in that land. They looked different, they did their hair different, they did their food different on purpose. That was to show this, these are my peculiar people. And now, guess what? All that is internalized under the new covenant. We're supposed to look different internally. And as you know, the internal affects the external. It'll affect your life. If you really have it on the inside, it'll show itself on the outside. If it's not showing itself on the outside, then you don't have it on the inside. And so he's showing my fold, if you want to call it that, is actually all the inhabitants of the earth. I'm not just God of the Jews, and I'm not just judge of the Jews. I'm God of the entire world, and I'm judge over the entire world because my righteous standards extend to the entire world because I made the world. See, God is showing his power here. He's showing that I'm like that lion. I roar as boss. Of all this. And you know, lions have often been portrayed in Scripture as enemies of man. They are. If you look throughout the Scriptures, the the lion was the scary creature that came out to get you. It was the enemy. Actually, there was even one time in 2 Kings that God caused these lions to come out upon the inhabitants of the land because they were not believers of the truth. And so lions are often portrayed as the enemies of man. Actually, look at Jeremiah 4. So if we back up many chapters back to the, towards the beginning of the book, Jeremiah 4, verses 5 through 8, look at this. Jeremiah 4, 5 through 8. Declare in Judah, this is again speaking to Jeremiah, telling him to talk. Declare in Judah and proclaim in Jerusalem and say, Blow the trumpet through the land, cry aloud and say, Assemble and let us go into the fortified cities. Raise a standard towards Zion. Flee for safety. Stay not, for I bring disaster from the north. Great destruction. Again, these are the people that he was bringing from the north, these other regions, these other people that he was going to bring for judgment. And what's he say after that? Verse 7. A lion has gone up from his thicket. A destroyer of nations has set out. He has gone out from his place to make your land a waste. Your cities will be ruins without habitation 
For this, put on sackcloth, lament, wail, for the fierce anger of the Lord is not turned back from us. That's what they should have done. At the beginning of this book, he was saying, you should now repent. You should put on sackcloth. Children, that showed if a Jewish person did that, it's like this rough material that you were to wear instead of your nice clothing. It showed, I'm going to keep myself from any pleasure. How dare I deserve pleasure at this point? I need to be wearing clothing that itches and that's uncomfortable so that it'll remind me of my sin. It'll remind me to repent. So put on sackcloth, lament, wail. See, this shows we're sorry for what we did. Remember when Jonah preached to the Ninevites? They fasted and they put on sackcloth. It shows we're sorry for what we did. That's what they should have done in chapter 4. And now here we are all the way in chapter 5. And that lion that was spoken about in chapter 4 is here. And he's close enough that you can hear his roar. It says God is now roaring. His roar is reverberating. It's coming through this cup of judgment that Jeremiah is speaking. Jeremiah's voice now is a roar because he's speaking God's roar upon these people, his fold. And not only includes his people, all the people, all the inhabitants of the earth. God's not just the God of Israel. His rule is over all the inhabitants of the earth. Verse 31, the clamor will, again, resound to the ends of the earth. The Lord has an indictment against the nations. This, this is a, a legal action in which the Lord claims he has right to punish the guilty. And why does, have, why does God have right to punish the Why does God have that right to punish the guilty? Well, because God is God. He's the one who created the world. He's the one who gave us life and breath and made Adam and Eve happy and holy there in the garden with souls that would never die. And he gave them one law, just one. And they broke it. They rebelled on purpose. They did it because they were deceived, but also because they wanted to. And God has a right over all of us since we're his. He's the boss. He's the king. He's the ruler. But lest we think his judgment is something bad that's not deserved, we need to know that he's good. If you've ever read the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis, you might remember one of the most famous of his works. It was actually the first book that he wrote called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It was the first one that he wrote, but it actually ends up being second in all the collection of the books because he sort of wrote a prequel called The Magician's Nephew, and it actually ended up being first in all the six books, I believe. But in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you might remember the Pevensey children find their way into Narnia through a magic wardrobe, right? And when they all four, all four of the Pevensey children get into Narnia, they actually meet these creatures, this Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, who can talk, by the way, in those stories, because the animals in Narnia can talk. Well, they go to the beaver's home, and they're learning about, yes, it's always winter here and never Christmas, because the white witch, she's in control and she's bad, but... There's someone there who's good. His name is Aslan, and he's a great king. This is actually what the beavers say. Uh, 
He's Aslan is a, a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan Pevensey, that's one of the children. I thought him, I thought him to be a man. Is he, is he quite safe? I feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. To which Mr. Beaver says, safe? Mr. Beaver answered, who said anything about safe? Of course he ain't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. So, yes, God is a righteous judge. He is like a lion, but he's good. He's a good lion. That's why he's a good judge. And this judgment that's coming upon them is deserved. Just like all judgment is when it's coming from God. And he says the clamor will resound from all the ends of the earth, this indictment that God has against the nations. He's entering into judgment with all flesh. The wicked he will put to the sword, declares the Lord. Look at verse 32. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, disaster is going forth from nation to nation, and a great tempest is stirring from the farthest parts of the earth. Those pierced by the Lord on that day will extend from one end of the earth to the other. Now that's the final statement that we get about it going from all the earth, farthest parts of the earth, end of the earth, inhabitants of all the earth. Did this judgment on that day really go to all the inhabitants of the earth? Is this a reference to the final judgment? No. According to context, it's a reference to the judgment that came upon these nations around the land at that time, which did come to many of them. We know that the Babylonians were overthrown by the Persians. This is a what the Bible uses and what we use. I mean, we use this all the time when we, we make statements that are broad statements that actually don't mean exactly what we're saying. Like just a second ago, I said we use these all the time. But we don't use them all the time. Like, for example, you might remember when um, in Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, verse 1, it says, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And we, we read this at Christmas. Every Christmas you read this, right? So Caesar Augustus said that all the world should be registered. I wonder how many of the aborigines from Australia showed up for that census. I wonder how many of the Eskimos up in Alaska showed up for that census. Or how many from the islands of Japan came for this census of Caesar Augustus. Since after all, it says all the world should be registered. Boy, I bet it took them a long time to get there. Or what about this in Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6? Colossians 1, 3 through 6. This is Paul writing to the church at Colossae. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the, wor in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Wow. 
Paul said that the gospel was bearing fruit in all the world. That must mean all the Incas and the Aztecs and the Mayans in Central and South America. The gospel was bearing fruit among them because he said it was bearing fruit in all the world. Yeah, all the known world, all the known world that all the world that they knew about. That's why it says here it's going to resound God's judgment to the ends of the earth, farthest parts of the earth. Well, it didn't. So what does he mean? It's going to be very large. It's going to be very catastrophic. As far as you can travel, as far as these people could travel, they will hear about this and they'll talk about this. Just as when the people got to Jericho, they'd already heard about the judgments that God brought all the way in Egypt. Remember the Rahab the prostitute says, We heard about what your God did, and we're trembling. I will say this, though, about this judgment, this this judgment that's pronounced upon the nations. It's a precursor to the final judgment. It's a preview. It's a micro view in one part of the world of the macro view that's going to come to all the world, okay? This judgment that's falling upon them, the righteous judge executing judgment, not only on his people, but on the nations all around them. It's a micro view in one part of the world of the macro view that will come to all the world. And that's true. That's true. Let's keep going. Look at verse 34. Because now it changes a little bit. Because he starts addressing these people, other people, who he hasn't addressed yet. So, so far, he's just been talking about the people of Israel as a whole, and then these other nations, these other kings as a whole. Now, look at this, verse 34. Wail, who? You shepherds. And cry out, roll in ashes, you lords of the flock. For the days of your slaughter and dispersion have come. You shall fall like a choice vessel, like a choice vessel, like a nice or urn, or um, vase, falls and just shatters. That's what he's talking about. No refuge will remain for the shepherds, in verse 35. No escape for the lords of the flock. Verse 36, a voice, the cry of the shepherds, and the wail of the lords of the flock, for the Lord is laying waste to their pasture. You know what's interesting about this? He's talking about those people that have been put in charge of shepherding his people. Priests, Prophets, other prophets that are actually false prophets, which we see about in this book. But did you know this word shepherds? Listen to me. This word shepherds occurs more in the book of Jeremiah than anywhere else in the entire Bible. This word shepherds occurs 14 times in the book of Jeremiah. 14 times. More than any other book. Second place is Ezekiel, where it occurs six times. But all the other books where the word shepherds comes up, it occurs like three, four times. So Jeremiah, as far as numbers of the occurrence of this word, blows them all out of the water. Why is that? Why is that? Remember, Jeremiah's book is about judgment coming. He's got a lot to say, a lot to say to and about these shepherds. Why? They bear some of the blame for this judgment. Why? 
Why did the shepherds bear some of the blame for this judgment that's coming? Well, what's their job? What's the job of a shepherd like me? You know the word shepherd means pastor. Actually, in the Spanish language, you know what you call a pastor? Pastor. You know what you call a shepherd? Pastor. It's the exact same word. That's why this word shepherd and pastor get interchanged even among your translations. In 2 Timothy, where it says that God has given to the church evangelists and all these people, and he says pastors and teachers, and the King James, the New King James, the New American Standard Bible, it says pastors and teachers. English Standard Version, it says shepherds and teachers. It's interchangeable. These men are also at fault for this judgment because they were not giving God's people God's word. They were giving God's people their word, which we talked about last week, for their own selfish gain, popularity, money, what have you. God's sheep feed on God's truth. Jesus said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. God's people have to have God's word. You, Christian, have to have God's word. I'm telling you, don't starve yourself of God's word. Even if all you can do, even if all you can do right now, because we all have different seasons, especially you with little ones, I get it, okay? I get it. See this row I'm filling up here? See that row they're filling up over there? Different seasons are hard sometimes, and I get it. But even if all you can do is sit down and read the Bible while you're shoving in your breakfast, that's good. That's good. Good for you, really. That's good. Keep it up. That's all you can do. I remember back in the day, I used to have to do sermon prep uh, while sitting in my car eating my lunch on, on lunch break back when I was uh, working at Harley-Davidson. I remember I wasn't pastor here yet, but you guys were using me to preach. That's when I had to get into my sermon prep. I'm shoving in food and, and studying. Get it, it in where you can because you need it, Christian. And that's what these guys are being judged for. They did not give God's people God's word. They were false. They were phony, charlatans, liars. And that's why God says to them, cry, rolling ashes. The day of your judgment has come. You are going to fall like a vessel falls to the ground and shatters. There's going to be nothing to catch you, shepherds, because you failed. You had a job. I'm the big shepherd. You were my under-shepherds. And you failed. The cry of the shepherds, the wail of the lords of the flock is also going to be heard because they are also at fault for this. Had they done a better job, these people may have not been this far removed because they would have had someone to rebuke them. They would have had someone to say, that's evil. According to the word of God, you should not be living that way. I implore you, because I love you, don't do this. Which is what Jeremiah was doing. And isn't it interesting, when it comes to those who love us most, when we're in our wickedness, those are the ones we hate most. The ones that love us most, that are telling us the most truth, those are the ones we want farthest away from us. Go away, you make me uncomfortable. We don't, I don't want to be around you. That's why they hated Jeremiah, as we're going to see in the next chapter. It doesn't go well for Jeremiah after this message, just like it might not go well for some of you when you speak the truth. 
the Lord is laying waste to their pasture because it's not even a real pasture full of real sheep. Look at verse 37. The peaceful folds are devastated because of the fierce anger of the Lord. You know why these folds were peaceful? Because we already read about, we already heard about in Jeremiah, and, and I think we'll hear about again what were these pastors saying to their sheep. Peace, peace. And he says, woe to you shepherds that say peace, peace, when there is no peace. There is no peace for them. The, sh- the foals here should not be peaceful. They should be troubled. They should be wailing and weeping and repenting. And God would have compassion on them, just as he said. Now we end with this, verse 38. Like a lion has left his lair, for their land has become a waste because of the sword of the oppressor and because of his fierce anger. This God that's pronouncing judgment is like a lion, and he will come upon them. And you don't escape when God chooses to come upon you like a lion. So again, what's the point? What's the point here? Well, the main point, the main point, the main takeaway for us is that this, this judgment that's pronounced upon the nations, it is a precursor of a final judgment to come because this was a message to this people in this day. And it happened. But what we can take away from it, a principle that we can gather from it, because we don't get to read America into this text. America's not in this text. But the principle for America is in this text. The principle for America is that this judgment that's pronounced, it was a precursor of the final judgment that is going to go to the ends of the earth, that is going to go from nation to nation. That is coming. Let's go to Revelation chapter 5 now. Revelation chapter 5. And I'll end with this. Revelation 5 because this is the only portion in Scripture, if I'm not mistaken, where Jesus is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth, was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes and the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. By your blood, you ransom people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, you've made them a kingdom and priests of our God, and they shall reign on earth. Then I looked and 
heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voices of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying what? Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. See, our Lord is both the lion and the lamb. He was called the lion once at the beginning of this chapter, but he was called the lamb three times after that. The version of him that you'll encounter on the last day all depends on who you believe about him today. Let me say that again. The version of him that you'll encounter on the last day, either the lion or the lamb, all depends on who you believe him to be today. John the Baptist said of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who does what? Very good takes away the sin of the world. And if you believe that about the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died to take your sin upon himself, truly really died, really was buried, and really rose again from the dead, then you'll have forgiveness of your sins because he bore that cup of God's wrath on your behalf. And you will have him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and not on the last day the lion who roars and reverberates the ground and the air around you with his roar and he's not bluffing. He's also a roaring lion. So if you've not turned yet and renounced your sin, hear his roar today in this text as your warning. It's a warning for you. Meant to be just like when a natural lion roars, hear him saying, I'm here, this is my territory, and I'm the boss. And come to him as your boss. And what you'll find is, as you're walking towards him, that lion that seems so frightening, you'll find when you get close, he's a gentle lamb who was slain to take away your sin and mine. Father, thank you for this word. I pray that we would receive it as we're supposed to, Lord, to receive it rightly as not only a uh, warning for those who are bent against your truth, but, Lord, also as, Lord, a principle for those who don't yet know you, that they would come and, Lord, help us also, those of us who already know you, knowing that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, help us still to take it as a warning against the seriousness sin how cancerous and ugly and shameful and despicable it is. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us, of course, to renounce it and not be like those of the world, but to be like your dear people, the people that you purchased, your true flock. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, since Seth is not here, we're going to go straight into communion.